So, we're good. So as I say, open up your Bible with me to Luke chapter uh, 17. We've got a fairly long passage today. But we're going to spend some time thinking about the kingdom of God. Is that right with everyone? Can I talk about the kingdom of God for a bit? Yeah, good. Has anyone here ever played um, Pictionary? Yeah, okay, so everyone knows Pictionary. You know in Pictionary when you're, you're drawing something and you're thinking, this is perfect. This is it. Everyone's going, what is it? And you're going, look at the, look at the thing and the... the and you say, it was a table. Oh, oh yeah. I can see it's a table now. And you're thinking, my drawing is perfect. In a similar way, but not that similar. The kingdom of God is a concept that Jesus is not the first person to talk about. It's, if you go through the Old Testament, it is a hope and it is an expectation for many hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming. But the problem is, and it's true for us as well, if I were to ask you, what is the kingdom of God, you might not be able to tell me. We kind of know it when we see it. And there are lots of descriptions of it. There's lots of little things which kind of help us clarify it. But what that means is that often there were people going, is this the kingdom of God? Is this the kingdom of God? And they were trying to work out in their minds what it looked like. And so passages like this are really helpful, even though they're small and they don't give much away, they're really helpful for helping to shape our understanding of what the kingdom of God is, what the expectation is that we're looking for, that we're supposed to be looking for, and that we're supposed to be working out in our lives. The kingdom of God, if you are a believer, is not just something that's out there. It's something that you are called to get involved in. So let's read this passage, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is, do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage up until Noah, the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like this on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is, a, who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked, he replied, where there is a dead body there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that whether we are faced with a easy passage or a difficult passage, that nonetheless it is good for us and that there is things in this to shape our life. And Lord, we pray that as we hear your word that we would sit under it, not over it. 
Lord, that it would be our authority, that it would be our comfort, that it would be the rebuke that we need. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless this time that we spend together. Amen. So, we start with Jesus being asked about the kingdom. And the first thing we see, or at least the first thing we see in Jesus' response, is what their expectation of the kingdom is going to be like. You know, when's it coming? And we have to bear in mind that in the ancient world, and, and well, really not even just the ancient world, up until maybe a few decades ago, kingdoms were invading kingdoms all the time. And so it would have been possible to look out your window and say, there's the Babylonian kingdom, and here they're coming. Or to look over and say, there's the Roman Empire coming over the sea. It was something visibly manifest when a kingdom was coming to overthrow another kingdom. Now their expectation is, and rightly so, because the prophets have said this, the kingdom of God is coming to be over all kingdoms. One of the reasons why Jesus is so unsatisfactorily a a, a Messiah is because he's not the captain of a great army that's going to come in and take over the system. So when is the kingdom of God going to come then, Jesus? And Jesus' reply, it's not something that you can say, here it is or there it is. The kingdom of God is not like an army of people coming in to take over a place. And then what he says is so subversive. The kingdom of God is in your midst. What he's saying there is, it's already here. You didn't see a great army coming over. You didn't see, uh, uh, you didn't hear a horn blowing or or a captain coming in. You didn't see a kingdom overthrown. What did they see? Jesus. The kingdom is here because the king is here. And what this illustrates is the kingdom of God is not like other kingdoms. The kingdom of God can exist within kingdoms. The kingdom of God is about asking the question, what does it look like if God was in charge here? And so the thing that's so unique about it is that kingdoms can stay as kingdoms. You could still have let's say, for for argument's sake, the United Kingdom, the Spanish nation, the Portuguese nation, whatever, and all of them subject to the kingdom of God. It's something that works within. It's like yeast in bread, Jesus says. It's like a seed that you put in the ground. And it starts to work its way through. It starts to change everything. And so Jesus, what he's saying is, you don't need to be waiting for the kingdom. It's here, it's in your midst, but you can be working for the kingdom. You can be working to extend it where you are. It's already here. And as you can imagine, the disciples at this point are probably being challenged in themselves. As they hear their master, as they hear the king rebuking the Pharisees on their view of the kingdom, that is in itself a challenge for them. Well, I believe he's the king. I believe therefore, that the kingdom of God has come. What can I do about that then? How can I be working to extend the kingdom? So we see that the kingdom has a past, right? It has, has an establishment. It came with Jesus. Jesus brought the, the promise that the prophets had been um, putting forward. He brought the expected kingdom. But it was tiny. It was small. It was 
not the wholeness of what the prophet said. Bear in mind, the prophet said that when the kingdom of God comes, the nations are going to flow in, but all will turn their eyes to God, that the Messiah will be king over all, that the Messiah will care for the great and the small. And, and so Jesus is saying, well, it's here. isn't saying, and this is it. He's saying, this is the beginning. It started. So we've got the kingdom in the past, but then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, the time is coming when you will long to see the days of the Son of Man. And he then describes what we now refer to as the second coming of Jesus. Now, I want to make something really clear. The second coming is not the point when the kingdom of God arrives. The kingdom of God arrived 2,000 years ago. The second coming is the point where the kingdom of God is completed. You know when you're building a building, you put brick down, brick down, brick down, brick down. It's a building site, it's a building site, it's a building site. And then you can step back and say, it's all done. The second coming is the point where Jesus lays the final brick. And so there is a future, there is a, a day that this kingdom is longing for. There is a, a, a progression that we're looking for. The disciples don't just say, oh, well, this is the kingdom, great, let's enjoy it. There is something that we're looking forward to, the day where the king returns. 1 Corinthians 15 describes it as Jesus comes back, and it says that and he delivers the kingdom up to the Father. And I love the language there, because it's, it's not like Jesus is coming in and going, right, let's bring a kingdom. He comes back and he says... Father, I've done it. Here's the key. It's like Jesus is just handing over the finished work when he comes back. But Jesus then spends some time going into the second coming. What's it going to be like on those days? But the first thing he says to his disciples is, when people are going on about it, don't get caught up in it. People will say, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. Don't be distracted by it. It's going to come. You don't need to worry about it. And why do you not need to worry about it? Because when he comes, that day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to another. In other words, when lightning flashes, you can't miss it. So we don't need to be wondering, oh, maybe it's next week that Jesus is coming back. Maybe it's a month. We don't need to be pre preoccupied with questions of the second coming. When it comes, you will know. And so Jesus says, don't get distracted with them. Now, I think this is a really important point for us to grasp. We are called to be preoccupied with the kingdom, not preoccupied with the second coming. I, I don't want to at all make it sound like that's not important. Of course, this is the day when all things are put right. This is the day when death is defeated. This is the day that we long for. But Jesus explicitly tells us, don't worry about it. Don't, don't go, there he is or here he is. Take that off your mind. And I think that's an important point for us to make because there can be a climate in the church where that's all we talk about. I don't think it's necessarily true for us, but it's certainly true for many places. And what I'm about to say, I, I, say, I want to say with a caveat which is I would much rather be marked for um, preaching what God's word does say rather than saying what it doesn't say. Okay, I'd much rather be saying what God does say than disagreeing with other people's interpretations. So I, I want to give that caveat, but I think this is an important point to make because in the 1860s, 
there was a, a very new view, well, I say very new, someone made up this view that has been very popular in the church, and we need to wean ourselves off it. And that was essentially that Jesus is going to come down, snatch up his church, we'll be taken off, and then whatever's going to happen on earth is going to happen on earth, and we'll be in heaven with Jesus. You might have heard of it was called the rapture view. And I think it's important to say that that changes your preoccupation from what we're going to do here to when's it going to come. And so people are looking for signs all over the place. And in America, for instance, we don't have it very much in this country, but you have massive magazines and journals and all these kind of things where they're constantly looking for all the times, all the, s- all the signs, all the things that might indicate that Jesus is coming back any day now. The fact that they've been doing this since the 1860s and never once have been right doesn't seem to stop them. But Jesus' caution to us is, don't be doing that. You don't need to be preoccupied with the signs and the, si- and the times and the seasons. It's going to come when it's going to come, and when it does come, you'll know. What we are called to be preoccupied with is the kingdom. And so Jesus continues, and he does talk about that day. What will happen on that day? Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And people were eating, drinking, marrying, being given up in marriage. Then Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them. In other words, life was normal. Everything was just going on. And then suddenly, God broke in. Likewise, for the days of Lot, people were just carrying on, doing life as normal. And then, something big happened. So another reason why we shouldn't be looking for all the times and seasons that might indicate that Jesus is coming back is because Jesus says it's just going to be normal. Life's going to be just carrying on the the same as normal, and then Jesus will return. There's not going to be some great sign. But Jesus does say this. When the Son of Man is revealed, you'll know where your priorities are. If we do live to see that day, that we will. Maybe we will. But if we do, that's the day where we get our priorities right. Jesus says, don't go down to get your possessions. If you're on the rooftop, stay there. Don't try and save your life. The best way to save your life is to be willing to lose it. And then there's this section where it talks about Two people will, uh, will be grinding. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken, the other left. Two people will be in a bed. One will be taken, the other left. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. No, maybe I will. Put your hands up if you would like to be taken. Okay. Put your hands up if you'd like to be left. Never thought he was saved. Great comment, Dave. This is another op- this is another um, place where I think there's some confusion. Now, again, think about what I said earlier. 1860s, a man called J.N. Darby comes along and he says, oh, God's going to snatch up the church and then everything's just going to happen. There's going to be tribulation, fire, all those things here. And he goes to passages like this. The problem is, and I think especially if you look at a passage like Matthew 24, which is clearer, 
See, that's actually the opposite way around. So in Matthew 24, Jesus says this. About that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving into marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill, one will be taken, the other left. So the point there is, the ones who are taken are being swept off to judgment, as it was in the days of Noah. The ones who are left, like Noah and his family, are the ones preserved for God's salvation. Now, there's three reasons I want to give why we should be particularly keen to not have that kind of uh, rapture theology or ideology or thinking. The first, very simply, is because I don't believe it's founded on God's word. Now, obviously, that could just settle it, but people would push back and say, no, it is. Fair enough. The second thing is, it moves, as I've already said, our thinking from the kingdom and what we're called to do here instead to being off somewhere, being snatched away, not having to worry about God's purposes for this place. And the third thing is, and intimately related is, it makes this earth irrelevant to God's purposes. So we read the Beatitudes this morning. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God is a reality that is coming from heaven to earth. In Revelation 21, for instance, it says, the bride, the heavenly Jerusalem, God's city, is coming down out of heaven to earth. God has come to pour out his kingdom here. And so it is those who are, aside from God's purposes, it's those who are being judged, who are taken away, while we are left to inherit God's kingdom the new earth, the new creation. This is where we're called to be. And so we're not called to be focusing about when we get out of this place. We can see the evil and uh, hard times and things that come in the earth, and that is not a call to say, can't wait to leave, but a call to say, God, I cannot wait for you to restore this. At um, Carol's celebration service on Thursday night, we read from Romans 8. And it says this, we long inwardly with groaning, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. I think we can probably all agree with that. We groan inwardly, longing for our bodies to be redeemed. And then Paul says, and the creation itself is groaning. Because God has subjected it to futility, to the, the, the dangers of the fall and, and sin. And so in other words, us and the world are singing the same song of, Lord, how long until you restore us? And so we're not called to be leaving, we're called to be staying. And so our focus has to be, how can I be bringing God's kingdom right here? The easiest way that we can do that is by telling other people the gospel. Sharing the power of God's salvation. The kingdom of God, as I say, is about what does it look like if God is in charge here. So the first thing we can do is tell people, God is in charge. 
and I submit to him as my Lord, and I welcome you to submit to him as your Lord too. But that's not the be-all and end-all. We can be doing things to work things in our community, to make this place look like somewhere that has been impacted by God's goodness. To be a testimony of God's goodness to those around us. That's not to say that we believe that the goal of the kingdom of God is to have a great community. It's not to say that the goal of the kingdom of God is that there's no more hungry people or that there's no more people in need. The goal of the kingdom of God is that God would be honored and glorified for who he is, the king. But when that day comes, all those other things will come. It's impossible to have a community where we say, we put God first and I don't care about the poor. God is the Lord of my life and I've got enough food in my cupboard so I don't care if anyone else does. The kingdom of God is a call to say, if God is my Lord, how do I show that to those around me? So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst, he really does mean it and it's very applicable to us. I want to highlight this thing that Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. What happened to Lot's wife? She was leaving Sodom. God was bringing a great salvation to her. And she looked back longing. There's a great irony in that story. You are being called to something so much greater. And you're longing for what you're leaving behind. And Jesus just says three words, remember Lot's wife. Think about that. I heard a quote recently from a very early church preacher called John Chrysostom, and he said this, if you realized how quickly people forget about you after you die, you would not be afraid to live your whole life for God. I think that's, that bec- that's the call there. Are you willing to say the kingdom is a past reality, a future reality, and a present reality, and therefore I want my whole life to be dedicated to the building of that kingdom? I want my whole life to express God is my Lord. You can't force anyone else to know that, but you can make it pretty clear that's what you think. And so I think that what Jesus is saying here throughout this whole section is this challenge, what are you doing about the kingdom? There's a day it started, there's a day it ends. These may be separated by thousands upon thousands of years. If, if, if If I show all my cards, I'll say, I think that this period will be studied as the early church. I think there's a lot more for God to do. But nonetheless, the the challenge that we're given is, what are we going to be doing about it? What are we going to do when we see that end? And we say, that's the goal, so what am I going to do in the present? So, I'm going to kind of bring us to a close there, but I, I want that challenge to really stay with us. I want that to be something that we feel, not only as we hear this, but as we go from here, as we live our lives, as we spend time with family and co-workers and people around us, do I really believe that the Lord is the Lord of my life and of this world? Do I really believe that the kingdom is a present, past, and future reality? Am I really willing to work at it, to not be like Lot's wife, but to see the great thing I'm called to and move towards it? And we do it in the hope that the meek shall inherit the earth.
So let's pray. Heavenly Father, yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. And what a beautiful name it is. Lord, we long to see your kingdom come more and more on this earth. We thank you that you have left us behind to build your kingdom, to be your ambassadors, to speak on behalf of the king. And Lord, we pray, renew this world, renew this creation. May your name be glorified in our towns, in our families, in our districts, in our country, in our world. Make us obedient servants and help us to live our lives for you, we pray. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory. Amen.